In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection antivirals to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Overwhelmed by investing? If you're anything like us, the hardest part is getting started. That's why we created the Investing for Beginners podcast. Our goal is to help simplify money so it can work for you. We invite guests to demystify investing. At least try to be setting aside like the minimum 10% into the 401k. We'll teach you the basics of the market. Yeah, I think compound interest should be at the start of any discussion about investing. And We've had investment professionals who teach in a simple way. A valuation-driven bear market. You know, we, we haven't really seen yet, and I think everyone's thinking about it, but we haven't really seen yet. Our Q&A episodes feature questions from listeners just like you. So what do you think about the situation with ETBI, which is Activision? I'm Dave Ahern. And I'm Andrew Sather. And we hope you join us on the Investing for Beginners podcast. On the Investing for Beginners podcast. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. All right. For the next two hours, an investigation into the earliest forms of shamanism and sacred sites as connections to extraterrestrial intelligence from Gobekli Gobek from Gobekli Tepe in Turkey to the Egyptian pyramids, from the stone circles of Europe to the mound complexes of the Americas. Andrew Collins and my guest tonight, Gregory L. Little, show how again and again our ancestors built permanent sites of ceremonial activity where geomagnetic and gravitational anomalies have been recorded. They investigate how the earliest forms of Animism and shamanism began at sites like the Denisova Cave in the Altai Mountains of Siberia and the Kasim Cave in Israel more than 400,000 years ago. They explain how shamanistic or shamanic, shamanic rituals and altered states of consciousness combine with the natural forces of the earth to create portals for contact with otherworldly realms. In other words, the gods of our ancestors were the result of an interaction between human consciousness and trans-dimensional intelligence. And uh, the book is Origins of the Gods, Kasim Cave, Skinwalkers, and Contact with Trans-Dimensional Intelligence, 
co-authors Andrew Collins and again my guest tonight Gregory L. Little. He is the author of more than 30 books including Denisovan Origins co-authored with Andrew. His research has been featured on the National Geographic Channel, MSNBC Discovery and the History Channel. He lives in Memphis, Tennessee. Gregory, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. Uh, Despite uh, everything happening in the world and here, I'm doing just fine. Hope you're well, too, and I hope your listeners are well. And hello, everyone. Uh, Glad to be here. Just going to hold Glad to be on Earth, yeah. (laughs) There you go. Just holding up uh, the book there for uh, those of you on the YouTube and the Rumble uh, channels, Origins of the Gods. And um, delighted to have you here. Forward by Eric Von Donneken. That's quite a coup. Tell me about how uh, Eric became involved in this program, uh, this uh, this project. Well, uh, the book itself is actually sort of a. Our idea was to try and explain the entire field of the paranormal, which included, of course, UFOs, abductions, contactees in the fifties and sixties. Uh, we wanted to explain ancient alien reports, things like ancient angels. Uh, We wanted to account for the fairies of England and the jinn of the Muslim world, the Native American little people. Um, And I'll I'll say this now, I'll say Native American real often. I mean, North, all of North America, South America, Central America. And I know in Canada, you call them the first peoples. Uh, That is, I think that's the legal name, correct? In Canada, first peoples? Uh, first peoples, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Or indigenous, or indigenous peoples. Sure. Okay. First nations. Yes. Here we say uh, just Native American. Uh, but anyway, we wanted to account for all that. So of course, Andrew knows Eric Vandonikin, and Andrew uh, appears on the show Ancient Aliens pretty often. And so, in the course of doing this, both of us realized that this is something that Von Donniken has actually hinted about from time to time. So he was sent the manuscript of the book, uh, reviewed it and said, yeah, he'd love to write uh, an introduction. It's I think two pages, two and a half pages, something like that. But what he really said is he loves the different ways that people try to account for ancient reports and ancient aliens, which uh, Andrew and I both believe that there probably have been visitations by Ancient aliens. Absolutely. Uh, And we can get into why here in a while. But anyway, he liked it and he agreed to write the introduction to it. And we're very we're very happy about it. And I think what you'll see on um, maybe the next season of Ancient Aliens and and certainly on the the William Shatner show, The Unexplained, you'll see them talking about this book uh, fairly soon because it is a very, very different take on the phenomenon, on all of the paranormal. So when we're talking about a shamanic uh, tradition of communication with, and I guess we need to define our terms because we could talk about ultra-terrestrials, we could talk about interdimensionals, we could talk about uh, trans-dimensionals. Uh, let's, let's start with just uh, kind of ex- uh, defining terms here. What do we mean by ultra-dimensionals, interdimensionals, trans-dimensionals? Well, that's that (laughs) the whole idea of dimensions and we live in a four dimensional world. Uh, Physically, it's three dimensions. We have length and width and depth. And then time is the fourth dimension. So interdimensional would be something that has more than four dimensions or four. Yeah, four dimensions, since time really is a dimension. And it intrudes in this world from time to time. Uh, There are. It could be any number of dimensions. That's why Andrew in the book calls them N beings, that we really don't have a number for them. I call them time beings, spelled T-I-I-M-E, which we can get into at some point. we got lots of time, so we'll get into that. Uh, but it, all the dimensional stuff, uh, those terms, it all means that they're either crossing from one dimension to another. One dimension intrudes in another uh, interdimensional pretty much means the same thing. They're moving between dimensions. Uh, and I don't think, I think in my half of the book, I don't think I mentioned uh, interdimensional or transdimensional one time. Uh, I pretty much left it up to Andrew to do almost all of the physics in the book. I really focused on Native American shamanic beliefs and UFOs and 
people like Joan of Arc and Edgar Cayce, which needed to be explained in this oddly. I mean, we pulled so many things together. Some of the reviewers called it a theory of everything. Yeah. yeah, but it's not just one explanation. There are multiple things going on, and that's what's confused people for years. I, well, 50, 60 years it's been. So there's too many things going on, and people are looking for one solution, and there's not just one solution. Uh, and in, in the book, uh, I think it's in chapter three, I use an example of a massive jigsaw puzzle. And what I, what I mean by that is this. If you can imagine the paranormal as a huge jigsaw puzzle that extends for miles and miles and miles, you can't see the whole thing. What happens is people get involved in one little area, the jigsaw puzzle, and then they might find a piece that fits and go, Eureka, I have solved it. But they haven't solved the whole puzzle. They've only solved one little piece of it because it is so vast and so big, and it incorporates a number of different explanatory mechanisms in it. So there's several things that really explain it all. For example, the, uh, the Tic Tacs, the U.S. Navy's recent reports of UFOs, that is a different explanation than you will find for the shamanic things. Uh, when I say shamanic things, Native American populations have forever interacted with a force that they call a spiritual force. And, and again, we'll get into that too. But they've interacted with a spiritual force that they say physically manifests from time to time. It's always a temporary manifestation, but that is a different thing, different explanation for that as to what's going on with the Navy's films. Mainly, most of them are infrared films of objects that they can't explain, like the Tic Tac. Right. So there's different things going on here. Many different things. All right. Well, let's let's talk about uh, shamanism and tell me a little bit about the. Or I know this is in uh, in Andrew's uh, chapters, but tell me a little bit about the origin of shamanism. Well, the origin of it, we don't really know the origin. I don't think anybody ever will. What we do know is that it goes back. This is what Andrew did in, in the very beginning of his half of the book. I wrote the first half. And in the first half, I ended by saying that this, that the shamanic practices where they have tried to interact with whatever these forces are, these practices have been going on a long, long time, a lot longer than anybody has ever suspected. So then at the beginning of Andrew's half of the book, Andrew goes to Israel and he goes to a place called Kesem Cave, and it is uh, outside Tel Aviv. I think it's like 15 miles outside, or it might be kilometers outside of Tel Aviv, uh, Israel. And he meets, he met with the archaeologists that did the discovery in this cave. Uh, he tells the story about how the cave was discovered. It was actually discovered with road construction. Uh, they were digging, a, building a new road out of Tel Aviv. And they hit this uh, formation that suddenly opened up uh, and they realized this is a cave and a whole bunch of bones came out, loads and loads of bones. So they wound up because of the, they have the same legalities over there as we have here. And that is when you find archeological remains, you have to notify the authorities. They come and see if it's anything of any importance. And as it turned out, it was something of great importance. So what they did is they started excavating it they wound up finding loads, and I mean, just an incredible amount of material, all of which directly links to shamanistic processes. Uh, they found ritualistic bones like swan feathers, which is a very big deal. Swan feathers have always been known in shamanism to be a, a key component to their rituals. And they wound up dating this cave to 400,000 years ago, 400, that's what I mean. It's a lot older than anybody thinks. So it's going back actually to a time when they weren't even sure that people like us, homo sapiens sapiens were even in the Middle East 400,000 years ago. Remember the out of Africa theory initially says that it's like 200,000 years ago, humans started going out of Africa and moving around. Uh, so it and they know that it's also not 
homo sapiens sapiens anyway. There's a different branch of humanity, some of our old, old ancestors uh, on the human human evolutionary branch. So that's that's the story there. It goes back at least 400,000 years. Had to go back further than that, absolutely. And we don't know how far. One of the things that I've done uh, here in the Americas is look at the dating. And we know that of people in the Americas, and we know they were here a lot longer than what mainstream archaeology tells us. Uh, in Canada, for example, I know there was an archaeologist who was almost destroyed uh, by skeptics because he said people had been there for almost 30,000 years, which is now known to be pretty much true. And then in South America, it goes back much further. So everything is a lot older than anybody ever thought. And that's a really big deal. Gregory Little, is my guest, co-author of Origins of the Gods, Kesem Cave, Skinwalkers, and Contact with Transdimensional Intelligences, along with uh, co-author Andrew Collins. Uh, so these locations where this uh, communication was taking place uh, between indigenous people, native people, and these transdimensionals, what are the what are the is there a common denominator of all these locations? Whether we're talking about Gobekli, the pyramids, uh, well, Skinwalkers, Kesem Cave. Yeah, there there is one commonality. The participants in these rituals almost always grounded themselves, and when I use the term grounded, I mean physically grounded. They would go into deep earth, like in caves. Uh, some of the rituals, like the Cheyenne in the uh, northwest of the United States, like in Wyoming. Uh, and in the, the Dakotas, the Cheyenne, when they performed their rituals, even in flat land, they would start by making a large sacred circle. They would re physically remove the sod from the surface. So you're not stepping on plant. You don't want to step on grass or plant. So they physically remove the sod and expose the soil. And they would actually perform rituals by putting their bare feet in the soil. It's the same thing that went on in the Southwest. If you know anything about all the kivas, spelled K-I-V-A, the kivas in the Southwest, they're circular enclosures that actually go down into the earth. Some, some of them go down 15, 20 feet into the earth. And then people would sit around in a circle, but it's all earth. It's, it's earth. And they would dirt. They would literally ground, ground themselves in the dirt. And there were reasons for that. Uh, I think it has to do, well, uh, let me let me answer the rest of your question then quickly. Uh, it is that um, there are geological formations that make the rituals more powerful, and the geological configurations can naturally form themselves into what Andrew likes to call portals or window areas where phenomena occurs over and over. And we know those, we know those exist because that's the places where they often built sacred sites. Uh, and they, they knew that that site was special. Uh, people like Paul Devereaux in England found many, many years ago in the 1980s, they found that sacred sites tended to have uh, high radiation levels, gravitational anomalies, uh, and one of the things I know uh, is that a lot of these sites have very stable electromagnetic characteristics. Uh, stable electromagnetic characteristics appear to be a really important factor in being able to contact and interact with these other forces, which I call spiritual forces because that's what Native Americans called them. Why would these transdimensionals require those particular ingredients in order to facilitate conversation or communication? They don't require them. In order for us to interact with them, we have to do something. In order for the interaction to be what I would call harmonious or something that would perhaps give you more balance in your life, you have to be mentally prepared and you have to do special things. They, the, the whole idea here is that these entities, these forces, come on their own anyway. Uh, and the other, they will come. But when they come on their own, they tend to bring disorder or, or disharmony. In other words, they lie. That's the, that's the simple way to put it. You'll have, for example, um, the 1950s contactees 
loads and loads of stories. There's 30, 40 of them all together, probably more than that, but the most famous ones, there were 30 or 40. So what, what happened with them is they'd be outside, they'd be in a desert, they'd be somewhere, and suddenly a flying saucer landed in front of them, and some being would walk out and say something like, uh, I'm from Venus, we're here because we don't want you to destroy the world with your nuclear weapons. Fine. Others would land and say, oh, we're from the planet Mars, or we're from Mercury, or we live on the moon, uh, which is what I mean. They lie. Native Americans talked about the same thing. They interacted with these forces all the time, and they called them a trickster. A trickster. Right. right. That That's is the thing I always that... associated with things like the raven or the fox. Absolutely. Animal tricksters are what, what they're – well, Native Americans have two different types of knowledge and information. Uh, so one type are basically commonplace myths, children's stories. Those involve animals. Those involve, they have a creation story about a husband and a wife up in the clouds and a hole appears in the ground. The wife actually shoves the husband through and then she goes down. There's a lot of stories like that. And they have lots of stories of animals. Uh, almost all of those commonplace myths uh, they don't give the sacred information. And those are stories for children. They are stories to tell at the campfire. They're stories to impart morals, uh, right and wrong, that kind of stuff. And also to just entertain. Sacred knowledge is a different thing. And the sacred knowledge is what we really tried to focus on in the book. So why would they come? We have about, uh, let's see, just over a minute here Yeah. before we break. Gregory Little, co-author of Origins of the Gods. Why would they come intending to deceive it's a test that's what the trickster is the trickster is a test these are not these are not entities like us some dude some whatever that comes down and you know goes to an unwitting uh participant in the thing or a percipient and just lying to them these are tests that's what it is. It's a spiritual test, at least from the Native American perspective. What we're dealing with with tricksters is a spiritual test. Joan of Arc had the same thing happen to her. Edgar Casey, the most famous psychic in America, had the same thing happen to him. And the contactees had the same thing happen to them, as did probably most abductees, too. To this uh, it day, gets, still happening, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So they're, they're doing what they do. These things aren't good or evil. They simply do what they do, and the react what what determines the outcome is us. The person who's interacting with them is the person who determines what the outcome of it is. That sounds kind of weird, I know, uh, but that's it. So, Gregory, um, one of the other uh, aspects I think that was that was needed for this communication between these transdimensionals and uh, the indigenous peoples was plasma. Am I understanding that correctly? Well, uh, it's not, it's not a necessary component. I think, uh, I think to, to get to that point, what I'd like to do is, is tell the native American creation story, the real creation story, the sacred one, and that will lead us straight into plasma. Okay. Uh, Plasma is not the answer to it all. Plasma is a medium uh, that is being utilized. It's not necessarily the entities themselves. So with the Native American creation story, like I, like I said in the last segment, there are, there are children's stories or commonplace myths and sacred knowledge. The sacred knowledge is really difficult to find and get a hold of. It exists. You have to do a huge amount of work to get to it and find it, and then you got to understand it. So you got to know a lot of the terminology. But let me just simplify it all. So in the beginning, what what Native Americans tell us is that there was a singularity. That's all that exists in the very beginning. Now it's going to sound like the Big Bang, and people are going to say, "Oh, they were influenced by uh, modern physics." And the answer to that is, no, they were not. Ah, the sure. Term, That's where yeah, I was going. <laughs> yeah, the, the term the term singularity is used in in the ethnography books that describe this belief system, uh, because what they say is at the very beginning, when there was nothing but just this one point of energy and this point of energy was pure spiritual energy 
And now they would they would probably call it the great spirit today. That's the term that they'd probably use, and that's fine. But it was one point of, of spiritual energy. And then as to what happened and what created everything, where it all started, for reasons that they say are unexplainable, this, this singularity had some kind of rudimentary or inexplicable consciousness and a purpose it began to churn. That was their word too, churn, like churning. It churned within itself. And when it did that, it created two distinct forces, two distinct spiritual forces. And these two forces are kind of like a yin-yang symbol, where you get two, two, two equally sized portions making up a circle, and they kind of rotate around. And of course, you can't have a singularity that has two parts. It's a contradiction in terms. So the moment the singularity began the churning and formed these two forces, it expanded. And when it expanded, it created a three-part universe. The Zuni tribe, Zunis, the Zuni tribe, which is the oldest of the ancestral Puebloans that we know of, the Zuni tribe called it a container of all that it started out as a small container of all, of pure spiritual energy. And that, for its own reasons, it thought outward. It just thought outward. Now, these are really old concepts, long before the Big Bang was ever right. proposed by physics. Physics very had no very idea. Very complex, very complex. Yeah. All right. So the next point of this, when it, for when it formed the three-part universe, it formed what they call an upper world which had its own purpose, its own power, and its own representatives, and a lower world, which had its own purpose and power and representatives, and a middle world. The middle world is the physical universe. Earth is where we are, so we'll talk about the earth. In the children's stories, you'll see in the children's stories, they'll say, oh, the earth is like a big bowl, and there are four ropes coming down that attach to something that hold the earth here, or maybe it's on a turtle's back or something. Those are all kids' stories. That's what they are. But they, they knew that there were other things out there. So the physical world, in their point of view, is a double-sided mirror, wow. double-sided mirror that allows a three-dimensional interaction, or actually four dimensions when you add time, a, a three-dimensional interaction sphere for the upper world powers and the lower world powers. So the, the idea of the mirror is Earth and the physical universe reflects the upper world power and the lower world power. So the upper world power is called the spirit of order or the spirit of creation. Order is... is the movements of the sun, the, the consistent movements, predictable movements of the sun, the predictable movements of the moon. Uh, also, the seasons are part of that. There's, there's a lot of predictability and all that. And in addition, it is creation. It means that this upper world allows things to be created continually. What's it created from? Well, spiritual energy. Because remember, everything started out as spirit. Everything started out as spirit. So the physical world is made up of dirt, which is the most primordial spiritual entity that exists. Earth is the most primordial spiritual energy. So that's why they would build earthen geometric earthworks and earthen mounds and put them in certain shapes and configurations because it is primordial spiritual energy. Rocks are solidified spiritual energy. And they would use rocks and put rocks in very specific places, or they would erect stones, or they would go to places where there were natural formations with these solidified spiritual energy. Water is flowing spiritual energy. We also know that water moving through rocks creates electrical current. That is very well known. Crystals. Crystals are a type of purified solidified spiritual energy and you can actually and what they found is you can do things like crystals like grind them in a leather pouch if you do that in complete darkness you'll see little balls of light come out 
You will literally do that. The best experiment I've ever told people to do, I have lots of people tell me, yeah, I did it and it worked. So I'd tell them, get two big crystals. I mean, as big as you can get, not, I mean, the ones that you can hold in your hand, get a pair of gloves, go into your bathroom, fill the tub two thirds full of water, make sure it's nighttime, make sure it's totally dark in there. Put those gloves on, put those crystals down under the water and rub them together as hard as you can and you will light up the room. That is true. That is true. The bigger the crystal is, the more light you will get. Then it's because the water is refracting the light that is coming off. And the light is act, they're actually tiny plasmas that are being released by. So Native Americans use that in a lot of their rituals too. So, all right. So I've talked about the, the upper world power and I've talked about the middle world reflecting it in a lot of ways. And some of the creatures in the upper world interact on the physical earth because eagles, eagles represented the upper world because they're always soaring high, but they also land on the earth. So they are reflecting this upper world power. That's why Native Americans held them in such reverence. Swans, on the other hand, live uh, a go in that upper world, but they also land and float around on water. And water is the surface of the underworld and the lower power. The lower power is the spirit of disorder, disorder, chaos. Nature is filled with chaotic events. Nature is filled with dangerous events. Trees fall, storms come, there's drought, there's all kinds of things that happen, <clears throat> and the earth reflects all that. It is also the spirit of entropy. Entropy is, the, is, a, is a, it's a process in physics. All things are subject to entropy. It simply means that everything eventually degrades to whatever its most primordial element or component is. No matter what you do, everything eventually degrades <clears throat> to its primary, primordial beginning. Right. And All then towards decay. Absolutely. But then creation can take those things and do something else with it. So the earth is a place where these two forces constantly interplay with each other. They are constantly interplaying. Onto this physical world, we were sent human beings. And we were sent here with a purpose. First of all, we have the ability to understand and appreciate these two forces, the, the force of creation and the force of entropy. And secondly, we were sent here as a means to promote harmony and balance between those two forces. That's what the shaman said, that that's why we're here. And that meant that we had a purpose, a spiritual purpose that we had to fulfill. And how they fulfilled that spiritual purpose is through rituals. The rituals all had to be done. I mean, think about the ritual of the harvest that they did. We'll talk about some of the others. But they had to do a ritual of the harvest. Why did they do that? Well, they were celebrating. They were thanking the spiritual forces or whatever that, yes, we have the harvest. But they were also doing it to ensure that they would have good luck in the next year. This went on throughout the year. There were so many of these rituals that they performed. It's almost... Well, we do the same thing in church and in, in modern churches. We do the same thing. Greg, sure. I got to jump in here. We'll uh, take another time out. Gregory Little, co-author of Origins of the Gods. Stay with us. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
Guys, we've seen so many people making ridiculous money from crypto. But did you know it's easy for you to do the same? The Copy My Crypto membership site shows you the coins that the YouTuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy him. It's like having a big brother who knows what he's doing. You don't need to know a thing about crypto or how to invest as you simply do what he does. So let me tell you more about James. He runs the Crypto with James YouTube channel, which despite heavy censorship, has over 17,000 subscribers and 1 million views. Since March 2020, he's told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. Had you put in $100 into each one, it would now be worth over $53,000. Of the 26 coins, his top pick of the year, a coin called Phantom, is currently up over 440 times from when he said to buy. That one call alone has retired a number of people, including guys in their 20s and 30s. Remember, this is public knowledge. You can go to YouTube and verify this for yourself. So if you'd like to join the 1,300 members who copy James, then stop what you're doing and head over to copymycrypto.com forward slash dollar. Copymycrypto.com forward slash dollar. That's D-O-L-L-A-R. You'll not only find proof of everything I've said, but listeners get full access for just one dollar. You can't find this offer anywhere else, but act fast because the offer ends soon. That's copymycrypto.com forward slash dollar. That's D-O-L-L-A-R. Don't take this offer lightly. He's the real deal. Go visit the site now. Welcome back. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Gregory Little, co-author of Origins of the Gods. Um, so we were, we were, you were giving us this wonderful summation of the, um, the creation story of uh, indigenous peoples. Um, and this is leading us into uh, a discussion I had asked you about the role of plasma in yeah. communication with the uh, transdimensionals. So uh, carry on. Sure. Okay. So it was a necessity. The, the, the Native American shaman and the medicine people, which there were several different types of um, secret organizations within tribes, they still exist today. Uh, and they were tasked with interacting with these forces. Now, of course, there's, there are black magicians or there are witches is what they would call them. Uh, and what the witches did is they interacted with the lower force powers. And it was usually to bring ill will upon someone. And once you did that, that was it. There was no returning to the higher level. So what Shaman did is Shaman learned uh, methods. This gets really complicated, but they learned a method to vibrate what I would call in the book, what I call in the book, a psychoid pull. And it's a pull that sticks through, through the earth. And it physically points to the celestial north pole. Uh, and that when they did some of these rituals, they would physically get a, a pole and drive it into the ground that would point toward the north pole star. So they, they felt a necessity to do this. When the shaman did some of these rituals, what they reported and what modern ones report is that there are physical manifestations, absolute physical manifestations of spiritual entities that occur. Uh, there are different names for these entities, depending upon what tribe you interact with. They all have a slightly different name. Uh, the, the Cheyenne called them the Mayan. Uh, they had some other ones that appeared too. Uh, they didn't say they were plasma forms, but they said they were pure energy, pure forming energy. And this, this kind of leads us to the question of about plasma. How does plasma enter this? Well, for many years, uh, lots of scientists have studied the UFO field. Lots of them. And you won't read about much of that in the UFO literature. You have to really dig to find it. Uh, and the, the most uh, unpopular theory ever is that plasma formations were the source of a lot of UFO reports, as well as plasma formations were the source of a lot of abduction and contactee reports, as well as things that Native Americans interacted with. And that, that in fact, is what the bulk of the book is, trying to explain exactly what that means. Uh, and we haven't even defined what a plasma is. We'll get, back, we'll get to that shortly. 
but the Native Americans had to interact with it. If they didn't, what they said is these forces, these spiritual forces, come on their own. And because they're appearing on the face of the earth, remember, the earth is an interaction zone for the upper world and the lower world all at the same time. So it always comes. You can always be deceived by these things. On one hand, you can always be deceived. On the other hand, you can always be led to a spiritual truth. So think about that. Every single time we interact with it, one either good or bad is the possibility. And so the Native Americans did, designed a ritualistic method, which they got from shaman in Siberia. That's actually demonstrated. We talk about that in the book, too, how that's been proven. And it goes back in Siberia. It goes back to at least 24, 30,000 years ago when they did this. So they tried to, to develop a way to ensure that these interactions that they had with these forms, whatever they are, these interactions were always beneficial to them rather than something that's negative. But here on the earth, when you interact with them, it can go either way. And it's up to you, up to the percipient, the person interacting with it, to determine which way it goes. So, in other words, they wanted to create more of a controlled setting? Is that the idea? Exactly. They believed they could control it, exactly. And the formations that they made, the sacred sites they made, the way they made, I mean, um, that very quickly, they would often make a circular enclosure. Uh, maybe the circle would enclose one to, in some cases, 50 acres. So you're talking about a big circle. When I say a circle, the circle is on flat land, but it has an outer wall of earth, perfect circle with an outer wall that could be 15, 16 to 20 feet in height, but no way in and out. And the reason they would do that is when they would do the rituals in the center of the circle, which would literally bring forth these spiritual entities, that was done to confine the entity. If it had no way out, the entity could not get out, and it was, it was to literally enclose it in that area, interact with it in that area. Almost There's, sounds like an Aleister Crowley binding ritual. That may be where Crowley got a lot of this from. Maybe he understood things that we uh, only now understand. Absolutely fascinating I, i'm particularly taken with the the complexity of the uh, indigenous creation stories and uh, uh, now just realizing i feel like such a dope that the that uh, you know these these myths that are sort of uh, held out as, and we assume that this is the sum all of their knowledge yet these were these were designed for the consumption of children, which I guess would be the rest of us, really. Meanwhile, they have all of this incredibly complex, arcane uh, knowledge. Um, who who instructed the the uh, the shamans, the indigenous uh, uh, people, to create these things in order to facilitate communication? Well. I, I'll tell you who they say instructed them. They say the entities did. It's just like the Zuni tribe uh, has. And the reason I focus, let, let me say why I focus so much on Native Americans. The Native American tribes, the ones in Canada, North America, South America, Central America, the Native American tribes are the only uh, indigenous people around the earth that we know of that pretty much were in isolation from other cultures for thousands of years. And in those thousands of years, they retained pretty much their, their pure belief system. So we know a lot more about Native American beliefs than we do, say, the people that built Stonehenge. Stonehenge, uh, we don't know anything about the people. I mean, we know very little uh, we know that they were using Stonehenge for astronomical observations and rituals, but that is about it. You know, uh, I don't know what else to say about Stonehenge than that. Uh, it's an incredible structure, but we don't know that much because that civilization, all that knowledge was lost. That was lost. Now, Native Americans in, in all three of the continents here well, two continents. Central America te is technically not a continent. So the two continents that are here, um, Native Americans staying in isolation that long and then being interacted with by the early ethnographers starting in the basically the 1600s and 1700s. Um, 
the stories that were told to those early ethnographers pretty much uh, are the ones that I'm talking about here. There are some more recent ones from the 1960s and 70s that I'm including here, but pretty much uh, starting in the 1970s, in the late 70s, a lot of this knowledge disappeared. You may be familiar, for example, with the so-called Sundance Yes, uh, that ritual and the sacred arrows. I actually had the sacred arrows in our house, the Cheyenne sacred arrows that go back to 500 BC or so. Uh, I got to hold them. We had a shaman living in our house with his family for 30 days. This was back in the 1980s when I got a lot of this information. Uh, they had um, changed by their belief system. Their their rituals had changed. The U.S. government literally outlawed a lot of their most sacred rituals. And what was left after they outlawed them were the sacred arrow rituals, and which is relatively new. It's not it's not an ancient ritual. And the Sundance, which is not a truly ancient ritual. The Sundance was brought in to replace a ritual called the Massam Ceremony, which was outlawed by the U.S. government. They weren't allowed to do it anymore. And the Massam is the one where you really get a lot of this information from. Uh, it was done by the Plains tribes. Um, and it's it's kind of sad. Uh, a lot of this information is really hard to get. There are tons of books you can go. Look up books on Native American mythology and legends, and you'll get all the children's stories. You'll read about spiders. You'll read about the wolf. You'll read about tricksters and all that. Uh, you'll read the creation stories. Not a single one of those is what I told you. If you want to read what I told you, you have to get the ethnographer books, which were not written for children or just people that had an interest in the legends. Uh, it's actually kind of sad to me. But on the other hand, it actually preserved a lot of their knowledge. Uh, their their knowledge was preserved. But again, we don't know as much about other cultures. Gobekli Tepe, complete mystery. 10,000, you know, it's 12,000 years old. What they believe in? Well, they believed in building big buildings and they had a lot of animals carved in there. And they definitely thought those animals were important. And it was a it was a ritualistic spiritual site. That's about it. We don't know anything else. So what was the 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 the, the intent in this communication? What knowledge, if any, was being transferred from uh can I call them thought beings or what what, what are we these entities? Well, they're not thought beings uh, in in that unless you're thinking like psychic projection, which was a term that a couple of UFO people put out many years ago, where people would think about something and it would physically manifest. Right. That might be a thought being. Uh, these are entities that you are not creating, but you are interacting with. You are basically calling them to you. They are their rituals are literally calling these entities to appear. That's what the rituals are, are done. Now, the whole idea of plasmas, that we believe that plasmas are the energy that these beings use or these entities use to form themselves. And I'm not sure that I should even call them entities, plural. And in fact, I don't believe that there are multiple entities. I think it is one it is one very massive thing that interacts all over the place pretty much all the time. It's kind of like the internet. Is the internet a single entity or is it multiple entities or what, what exactly is it? We all interact with this thing all the time, but it's all interconnected. Everything is connected was the, all things are connected was the title of my first half of my book. And that's where I ended that all things are connected. And I use the internet as an example in it. The first book that I wrote about this particularly was called People of the Web. And I wrote it in 1990, right after the internet was, de was developed. And people said, oh, it's about the internet. And I said, no, it's about the web that Native Americans said. Native Americans have said everything is a web. It's an interconnected web. And it was made by a spider, which is also a trickster. Spider is both creation and a trickster at the same time. It creates beautiful stuff, but if you get ensnared by it, it can kill you. That's that's the truth. It has good and has bad qualities. But the thing about a web is if you touch a spider web anywhere and you jiggle a little bit or you vibrate it a little, the entire thing vibrates. That vibration goes everywhere on the web. Sounds like and string theory. 
Exactly. And that's where Andrew went in the second half of the book. Exactly. Native Americans use that that idea about the web. They use that and said the whole thing, a spider. It's like a spider made it all. And everything is connected. Everything. No matter what it is, we're all connected into a whole. We just don't know it's a whole. We can't perceive that it's a whole, although there are special conditions when you can. I call those things synchronicity. Carl Jung called it that. Uh, it's a special type of awareness. It doesn't last very long. And the truth is, we're not equipped to see all the connections of everything all the time. That would drive us mad. We are, we are built to have very limited awareness all the time. Focus on what's around us all the time uh, in order for survival. You can't survive if you don't focus. I just got about a minute here before we break yep. at the top of the hour. Gregory Little stays with us into the next hour as well. Origins of the Gods, co-authored by Andrew Collins. And so let's talk a little bit about, and then we'll continue after the uh, the break, obviously, about how human progress was affected by these communications with transdimensionals. Well, that is a that's another really good question. I believe that uh, one thing it did how how we were affected by it. That's why we started building all the sacred sites. That's why the pyramids were built. Uh, it's why Gobekli Tepe was built. It's why North America, all of North America, Canada, the United States, there's loads of mounds in Canada. There are loads of um, what are called medicine wheels, rock wheel formations in Canada. They're not as famous as the ones in the United States, but I'll bet in Canada they are. <clears throat> so they taught us or we learned a lot about these things through these interactions. Beyond that, uh, I think they taught us morals. That is what, that's what the Native Americans tell us, that reverence for uh, animals. They taught us understanding about planting and so on. And then we, Andrew and I do not, um, we don't negate the ancient aliens thing. We both believe that the earth had visitations from aliens. And the reason we believe that is because of Carl Sagan, the greatest skeptic of all time. Uh, and that might be a cool thing to start with when we come back. But we'll do uh, that. Yeah. All right. Stay with us. Gregory will. And again, Origins of the Gods, Kesem Cave, Skinwalkers, and Contact with Transdimensional Intelligences. My name is Richard Serrett. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.